You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Is Europe gaining ground over the U.S. in cannabis pharmaceutical development? Michael Sassano, CEO of Samai, a European pharmaceutical and biotech company centered on manufacturing in Lisbon, Portugal, says the data is clear. Europe is about to take the lead on testing and clinical trials. Michael is one of the most respected executives in the pharmaceutical cannabis space today and he is celebrated in mainstream business and biopharm media as an international authority on developing large-scale cannabis infrastructures throughout the world and the most advanced pharmaceutical cannabinoid products. Great conversation with Michael. Hey there. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Where are you today? Uh, Lisbon. So we're just finishing up our day here, getting uh, ready to go to dinner. Um, I'm I'm in New York City, but we were in Lisbon uh, right before COVID hit, 2019, Christmas 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was here at the same time. I was <laughs> roaming the city. It was wonderful. Yeah, we had a great time. Loved it. Um, but anyway, so. Uh, so interested in uh, cannabinoid research and you know the future of it, what it can do and how it can target specific ailments. And so I was really excited to talk to you um, to see what Samai is doing and, and what you're doing in that area. And I'm also looking forward to hear how is it playing out in Europe versus the United States and how can we all work together? I just wanted to start with a, um, a little background on you. We wanted to say, right, you are based in um, Lisbon, Portugal, but you've also worked on numerous cannabis projects in the United States. Um, and you're uh, well known, I believe, for building and operating uh, Solaris, a cultivation facility in Nevada before leading the merger with the sanctuary dispensary and turning it into a vertical operation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, and I, I, built, uh, I, I built 16 facilities so far. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun, you know, uh, but uh, it's also a lot of work. Right, so is that where your experience comes in is the uh, build out of cultivation facilities? Yeah, you know, I used to be a, uh, I used to, well, I was a banker and then I, in New York, and then I was a, uh, and then I was a real estate developer. Um, You know, we call that semi-retirement for when you hit it right in in banking. And- (laughs) Or any industry. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, when uh, the the crash happened, um, you know, the, the paradigm of real estate development and and higher growth areas uh, became a uh, um, an interesting interesting investment. So, yeah, I just kind of ended up going all in. So you, but you've mostly worked on the other projects that you've worked here. You've worked on the build out of the cultivation facilities. Yeah, I build them, I operate them, I sweep the floors when need be. You know, all that fun stuff. So how did how did you how did you get into that from banking in New York City? Um, well, I mean, it, was, it just was a transition. Um, you know, the 2008 market collapsed in real estate development. I was doing real estate development, and there was no bank loans to be had. And uh, these guys came to me and they said, "Look, 
we're in a federally ambiguous industry. You know, would you like to invest in us? And I said, well, looks like we can't do any real estate development now. So, um, you know, and I did my studies and, uh, and then it just kind of went from there. I mean, it's obviously, you know, my vision has expanded greatly since that initial time, but that kind of, you know, is a, is, is, is the way it ended up happening. So were you born and raised in the United States, but you're now over in Lisbon? Uh, well, I'm a dual citizen. I'm Greek and, and American. But yeah, I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio, went to Boston University, ended up in New York City as a banker, uh, Lehman Brothers back in the day, managing director of Canadian Imperial Bank. And then uh, and then I um, ended up uh, back in Europe, living in Monte Carlo for well, I still live there. And um, oh, Monte Carlo. Yeah. Yeah. That's so um, that's impressive. <laughs> I'm a rolling stone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that, that's pretty. Wow, that's amazing. That's cool. Um, yeah. Okay, so I have the whole I have the whole visual here. All right. Um, and then so you then left uh, the United States and then you moved into pharmaceuticals. So how did that how did that all work? I mean, I've always wanted to be back in the United States, uh, back in Europe. Um, you know, my skills in the United States clearly uh, uh, were, were much needed over here in Europe. Yeah. Um, and the the scope is different rather than recreational, which, you know, we have, we make, we build a facility, we have a product tomorrow, we sell the product tomorrow. Pharmaceutical is a lot different. You're trying to solve indications and you're uh, making a authorized, you know, a, 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 a registered medicine. So you're getting your market authorization for an actual medicine that treats a specific indication. Um, you know, this is a, you know, a higher value chain in my mind, but it's also, um, you know, a higher, uh, let's say purpose, you know, because you actually have to be precise as to what you're making and how it treats somebody and do studies in order to uh, prove that. So, okay, so you went back over there to work with Samai Pharmaceuticals. Can you tell me about what you're doing there? What are, is the research that you're doing? What have you put into the market? Yeah, so, I mean, so my, so my, I, I came over um, uh, to, you know, to build a facility in, in, in Europe. Um, what started off in Greece as a, as a growing facility, well, it has to be growing and, and uh, manufacturing. Um, and I realized, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of projects going on both in Europe and, and in a global and a global scale. Um, and I went to Portugal about the same time you were there. And I met with the um, uh, powers to be and the regulators and talked about the different strategies. And they were open to just a pure manufacturing and, uh, and making products, uh, medicine products. And, and I could source that product from anywhere in the world that has a legal cannabis program. So like South Africa, uh, Macedonia, uh, clearly, of course, in Europe, um, Colombia, Uruguay, now Thailand. So there's clearly, uh, in order to do manufacturing, you need you know, a lot of biomass at a good price. Um, and, and if these other countries were able to produce a high quality product, um, that could ultimately be um, uh, formulated into a medicine, well, that's a winning combination. So if you juxtapose that to, to also all the other things that uh, uh, Portugal offers, um, it has 
probably the largest, well, no, it is the largest guaranteed in Europe infrastructure with 19 fully functioning grows right now, which seems quite small compared to 20,000, 30, you know, license sets in America. Um, but for Europe, it's, it's, it's monstrous considering there's only 35 facilities um, uh, that are open currently here. I'm sorry. So you're saying also that you can, can you, can you import biomass from these different countries into Portugal? Are they allowing that for, for research and uh, manufacturing? That's exactly right, because it's a registered medical API. So once you have a pharmaceutical registered API and you've gone through those steps to register your API, um, that becomes a global, well, any country, you know, some countries do not allow any uh, medicinal problems, but um, most countries have accepted the, the 20, uh, 2019 UN vote, um, or 2020, actually, Thank December you. 2020. Yeah, so it is a medicine. Uh, the only people that don't recognize it as a medicine is somehow some crazy people in the United States. Right. So that was going to be my next question. So the, so the drug development process here in the United States is very rigorous uh, through the FDA. Is it the same there? I mean, you're kind of saying that it's not, that you're able to move ahead and uh, with more research and uh, development and different cannabinoid research. Well, for sure. You definitely could say that the FDA style approval for medicines is very similar in, in scope to the uh, uh, EU GMP pharmaceutical um, registrations of medicines. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the markets, but the U.S. is its own closed bubble of pharma. Uh, the rest of the world works on a global scale, whereas the U.S. has its own pricing, its own rules. Uh, they don't recognize, you know, other people's uh, registrations, although it helps. Um, it's, it's, it's not a mutual recognition. Um, and one of the biggest differences is the concept of herbal medicine versus synthetics. Um, so the FDA is more geared to pure elements, synth synthetics. Um, uh, that would be your epidiolex, where you have a purified CBD. Um, so they, they like that or synthetic molecules, you know, with, you know, 99.9% .9 purity. Um, whereas Europe and, 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 and now a lot more countries, uh, including India, it looks like it's coming online. Um, you know, most of the global countries, um, they believe in herbal medicines. So actual registered medicines with safe elements. And instead of having to do clinical trials on them, uh, they accept the use of common elements that are safe for human consumptions. So like in our example, it would be uh, THC distillate and CBD distillate. They recognize these two as safe for human consumption. So you don't need to go to clinical trials if you're using those, you know, those medicines or those APIs or combinations thereof. Um, you know, so that's one pathway. And of course, another pathway is what we would call AIM, uh, which is Epidiolex, Sativex, and, and, and all the rest, um, and any medicine actually for that matter. Um, so, and that would be more like you're, you're making, a, like you're using in Europe, if you were using CBN or CBG, these are currently not in the monographs. However, if you wanted to use them, you would have to prove safety to humans on a on a medicinal or pharmaceutical level. Okay, so um, 
Are you, so, so then are you mostly working with like major cannabinoids, not minor cannabinoids to stay away from the synthetic uh, formulation? Like you're saying Europe is more about the, the plant, the herbal part of it, not creating these synthetic cannabinoids. Is, is that more the belief or the R&D that road that you're going down? Let's say that this is more, uh, uh, we're, we're going down both ro roads, uh, just one has an earlier revenue line and one has a later revenue line or one is more IP orientated. So in one sense, um, you know, we, we're a business, we have to, we have to make money or we'll be closed. So um, the herbal medicine road uh, allows us access into the market of a medicine, um, you know, within, let's say, one year of, of stability tests and, and registrations to get your market authorizations. Um, so that's one path, but we've pushed it to the limit where we're, we're also um, investing into different delivery methods, whether it's transdermal, sublingual tabs, um, not just drops. Uh, we're also doing sprays. Um, um, you know, these type of different uh, soft gel caps, these type of, of delivery methods um, are very avant-garde for our market. It might sound simplistic from from the U.S. market standpoint, you know, we made soft gel caps and drops, you know, five, eight, ten years ago when it was the, you know, only medicinal markets, um, and and those were the those were known. Now there's very limited amounts of them. A few big sellers um, still have good transdermals like Mary's Medicinals, and if there's a few uh, sensor and drop sellers um, because people may prefer that mode of, of methodology. But most people in the U.S. have gravitated do much more uh, gummy bears, just like your nutraceuticals. Um, but here it's pharmaceutical. So proving these out and getting these registered, um, you know, is a path. And then when you go to the semi-synthetics, so of course we're going to make semi-synthetics. It's probably the best way to make CBN, um, you know, and a few others. Um, uh, these, and then, you know, of course we'll uh, use some chromatography to separate out some of the minor cannabinoids but this is for R&D purposes. You know, like in the US, one of our good sellers was a C five milligrams of CBN and five milligrams of THC. And it was considered great for going to sleep. Um, and maybe it works for some people, but in order to bring that to our level, that would require clinical testings and proof that the efficacy is there uh, to actually put people uh, to sleep or help them to sleep, let's say. Right. So is so you are selling some of your Samaya is selling some of its products in the United States, not as pharmaceutical level. I, I think we will. We have a pathway to enter into the United States through university trials. Um, and so it's a it's it's not the full blown out FDA clinical. Um, it goes through uh, it goes through a university. Um, and I, I I'm. It, I just really got into this about a week ago, so I'm still a little bit fresh as to how it's gonna go, but um, we do have a pathway. It is pretty clear. Um, I'm unclear the economics of that pathway, um, but you know, maybe it's just a feather in our cap and, mm -hmm. uh, and that would be great also, by the way. Right, oh yeah, so that's, that's really exciting. So are, are you focused, what kind of um, treatments are you, or ailments or symptoms are you focusing on? That, that could take a while. Oh, uh, let, <laughs> me, let, let me give you let me give you some of the kind of the more high line ones that we think are, are quite interesting. 
Um, one thing that we have in uh, uh, being in Portugal um, is we have a lot of support from the government. So we recently just won uh, the PT 2020 um, Innovations Grant, um, which uh, which uh, provides us with funding um, for for innovate for making innovative manufacturing and pharmaceutical products. Um, we also have what's called uh, research and development grants, uh, which which um, uh, aid us uh, in developing drugs and getting to different levels um, like in vivo, in vitro trials, uh, PK studies, absorption studies, um, things to prove what we're doing. Um, one of our what one of the main um, let's say themes that that we 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 follow is is what's common in the United States in the recreational market, but in our market, uh, it's quite novel and and is is faster absorption and and higher uh, bioavailability, and it's about proving that in a tr clinical trial setting. Um, so most everything of what we're doing has that as a basis of excipients. So just put that and put that on the side. Now let's look at what kind of things we're, we're, we're trying to develop for these markets. Um, one that, that's really close to me because I, because uh, uh, my parents were, you know, we were formulating products for my parents that all had arthritis and their friends um, back in the early days and we couldn't decide was it CBD, THC, CBN, CBD, didn't really know. So we, you know, because you're allowed to actually use humans as guinea pigs in the United States, <laughs> um, you know, I did. <laughs> Wait, well, they have, are they allowing that now? <laughs> well, in, in one way, in one way, isn't every, when you're, when you're first time buyer at a dispensary, you're guinea pigging it out. Well, isn't that all the research that they could go by? Or maybe that's what you were talking about earlier is that, you know, they, they do have all that human research, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Like, you're exactly right. That's, I mean, that's right on the nose. We've done all the research what people like, what taste they like, what viscosity they like, what delivery methods they like, what mixtures they like. And we have feedback and we give you a free joint if you, if you, uh, are, well, I shouldn't call it a joint. We give you a free pre-roll in order to, uh, uh, in order to fill out our questionnaires. Yeah, of course, this is, this is the, it's the ultimate research and development harness, you know, data that I've ever seen. I mean, the US is amazing. Uh, with the data because we don't need a doctor in between us we have direct from the patient information what works what brands work what colors they like you name it and have you seen there well there's one specifically i can name out of canada there's a group called strain print i love those guys i, I to them a while ago yeah i mean that is there's a couple others based in the united states that are coming out but i'm sorry i took you off track uh um, no, no, right on track i mean strain print uh, they know what they're doing. Um, we're trying to work with them to uh, to come over here to Europe. Um, you know, although this is self-administered data, it's powerful data. Um, you know, we have to still do our own clinical trials. Um, you know, that's just the way it goes if you're proving out different things. But yeah, I mean, uh, this data is powerful. Yeah. I think I think you know, it, it's there's a lot in there. There's also genetic testing where people can try to match it and they're trying to match it with genetic testing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what people are trying to do is, is conquer the holy grail of data and cannabis, which is, you know, I think we're really far from it, but I think, you know, these are great early steps um, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Tilray just launched recently 
uh, their educational platform that somehow correlates uh, to the patient's uh, uh, need. Columbia Care was very vocal about their 200,000 patient database and the knowledge they have on creating pro products. Um, you know, so um, you know, there's there's a lot out there, and they're all they're all trying to get to that right point, which is how do we help the patient? Right, right, right. Okay. And then, um, are there are any special cannabinoids that you really see, uh, you know, new ones coming up that are seem very promising? I know a lot of people are talking about the THCA is very being very potent, you know, pre like the acid form, but uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like the miners, you know, here, everybody's talking about CBN, you know, for sleep. And I'm, I'm just curious if you see one that you just go, oh, this looks like a really good one. And we're kind of focusing on this specific cannabinoid for certain. Things. Yeah, well, we, we, we are indeed, we are indeed, by the way, um, uh, going to use uh, here THCA um, because it is considered an herbal remedy. Um, it's something that's not very well explored, um, and so uh, we will be we will be exploring the non psychoactive form of the THC and mixtures uh, in our formulations. So, um, you know, for this mark for the European market, it's very avant garde. You know, and, and there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, on the highly purified side, we're looking at THCV, uh, CBDV, CBDA. CBC and CBL, um, and then on the uh, semi-synthetic side, uh, we're looking at CBN and CBG. Um, you know, we we think there's a lot lot to be had there, um, and uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the U.S. with all these semi-synthetics, delta eights, and you know, delta O's, and all the delta tens. So. Um, we will make some of these to try to do research and development on them, um, but we will be treating them as a narcotic, uh, as as that's how the EU looks at it. Oh, so the so the acid form, uh, you're saying there it's considered like an herbal form, uh, like the THCA is. Yeah. So, so you is. you can legally kind of work on that. That's more considered the CBD. It's not. It's not the. It's not considered an illegal drug at that point? Well, no, it's considered a narcotic, no question. Um, but uh, it, it, the only problem with THCA is the ability to stabilize it and get a long duration of stability. Um, that's something that, that we think we've conquered. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there, are, there, there, there is empirical evidence of the healing aspects of THCA. Um, you know, it's not just all about THC and, you know, the Delta 9, you know, it's, it, there's so many other uh, ways to look at this. We just, from our standpoint, we need to bring it along a, a development curve and that takes years. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, who, who's behind, like who are some of the people, your scientists, uh, R&D people? Is there anyone, you know, who, who's the team over there? Did you did you walk into this this company or did you start the company and bring everyone together? No, I started it from ground up, and uh, and we put together, you know, the team over time. Um, so if you divide it into the production team over here, um, it's headed by uh, Antonio Marquez da Costa, uh, who was a former vice chairman of Inframed, and uh, in his own respect, has run uh, multiple manufacturing pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, facilities. 
um, that are very complex, much more complex than cannabinoidal extraction and, and distillation. Um, you know, and then if you follow that team, uh, you know, on the production side from our QP Dahlia and our, Q, our, our, uh, our QC, uh, Iva, uh, these are all experienced industry players here in Portugal uh, that have worked for very large companies. Then you try to juxtapose that to where the extraction technology comes from. And so we have Anthony DeMeo from uh, Las Vegas. I've known him for many years. Um, you know, um, you know, he's he's a also a Oxterdam professor of extraction. Um, you know, but he's he's also been a real world product ma ma manufacturer from the Audacious brand. Um, you know oh. that Terry Booth started to uh, uh, to the um, uh, tsunami uh, concentrates, which carry a high value uh, in the Las Vegas market. To to he's at hundreds of products experience, and then you kick it over to the science team. So if you go to the uh, uh, to the scientific advisors, um, that's Viridian Science, Linda Clumpers. Um, you know she's marrying the science and and developing the pathways. Um, you know, for the company to go down, um, and and all of these uh, all of these teams are working in sync uh, with with uh, KOLs. So you have doctors and physicians and 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 um, uh, researchers uh, from various countries here in uh, in Europe and uh, a few in the United States actually, and we will be making those announcements uh, throughout the year, um, and uh, and introducing everybody to the people that are helping us formulate and create products and use those products uh, in clinical trials. So what's the plan right now? Is it to is it to focus on getting into the United States or just the broader European market? And and how, I mean, you know, it seems like the United States is leading in and, you know, being the first moving forward with you know, legalization within the states and things like that. Do you see the United States as the heavyweight champion of the cannabis market? Do you think it'll be long term? I mean, for sure, the U.S. is the heavyweight champion of cannabis, uh, and will continue to do so. Um, you know, it's it's a it's it's a wealthy country. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, they have an incredible infrastructure. I I, I believe actually, I think the numbers are even higher than I quoted earlier maybe 20 to 30,000 license sets uh, with 60,000 ancillary license sets that uh, help uh, that uh, service the industry like labs and uh, distribution companies and uh, you know everything you can imagine so um, you know it's an incredible market um, you know but it's you know similar to its pharmaceutical industry uh, uh, rules it's, it's a bubble into and itself um, whereas what we look at from here is a global scale product. We're not making a product that will be sold in one state to a dispensary. We're making products that will be sold to almost every country except for the United States. I, I mean, we believe we have an, a pathway, as I said earlier, but let's just say the, our markets outside of the United States are much larger. And if you look at countries like India, that are now starting to make developments uh, in cannabinoidal uh, therapies. Um, you know, uh, Brazil, um, you know, got their first shipment of extracts and products uh, this, this year. Um, you know, Germany on its way to going recreational right now, but it's not gonna be recreational like the United States. It's gonna be, a, it's driven by the health minister. He's not gonna say, okay, this isn't, you don't have to treat this as a narcotic. He's not gonna say, 
Uh, we don't care about our quality. So we're going to, you know, regulate like the U.S., which is really restaurant quality. It's not even hemp producers are held to a higher quality than THC producers because it's reconciled to a state uh, rule, which is more restaurant orientated production. So, um, no, he's going to stay to pharmaceutical, most likely levels. Um, you know, still there'll be distribution through the big pharmacy networks, which is, you know, your global distribution chains. And you have global distributors that supply those uh, uh, people. So, um, yeah, uh, you have little countries too. So you, so you were saying earlier that, you know, it's easier to distribute through the European community. Is that because that's of the, because of the EU? Is that also easier globally, like you're talking about? So, I mean, is, is, is Portugal's part of the EU that probably makes it easier for you to distribute there? That's correct. The EU would be the, the gold standard of, of uh, pharmaceutical production for the global market minus the United States. Um, so, uh, and, and if you can imagine any product, um, like whether it's antibiotics or aspirins, there are huge distributors that specialize in distribution and there's, their outlets are pharmacies, which you can find almost everywhere. You know, uh, They're designed to be everywhere because people need their medicines. Mm -hmm. um, so when you tap into that kind of a resource and you're a manufacturer or grower or whatever, um, and you're tapping into a global network, um, as the regulations allow for more access, so too does the, the access spread. You don't have to wait for somebody to license a dispensary and then open up a dispensary and then staff that stack that dispensary of products. No, it's already in the market once the regulators say yes. And it's going to everywhere in the country. Mm. So I know you're coming in, your pathway in is through the universities and um, research and study like that. But are you also thinking of coming in through a, a nutraceutical uh, path as well, just to get into the dispensaries? Are there products that you're um, putting through R&D for that? No, we don't have a pathway to bring in cannabis products uh, through a nutraceutical uh, style. I mean, CBD, of course, that, that if you, we're, we're on the narcotic sides, but of course, CBD is inter-country, inter interstate travel um, allowed, uh, but THC is closed off. So the states, um, you know, are closed entities. What's made in the state is sold in the state. And uh, the only path that I see it, and like I said, I'm, I'm just getting up to speed on this is, uh, the, is the have a, a market authorization for a registered medicine um, and then to go through the steps to show the safety uh, in a U.S. market, I believe, is the pathway. And then the pathway exists after that. That's my guess of what I've been reading, but I need more clarification. And how how are you even getting into the universities being a foreign country just because we're not federally legal and it's is it a state by state you're entering through a specific a specific state? Yeah, I mean, the question that is the question. How do you do it? And my my, my keep it. Remember though, we're talking about a pharmaceutical a registered pharmaceutical API for trials. You know, so. Um, uh, these rules exist uh, for any country anywhere to do trials on their medicines 
Um, you know, just because we make it here doesn't mean that there isn't a pathway to the United States. Um, there has to be, right? Because many drugs are made over here. And most, actually, most of the pharmaceutical companies technically are European now since they did those reverse mergers. So, um, so, so are there any countries outside of Europe that you think um, we should be paying more attention to as far as um, uh, cannabinoid research in the pharmaceutical end? In Europe right now is getting ready to take off. I mean, between more access in Germany, uh, Spain just announced that they are going to have a full-blown medical program by the end of the year uh, for cannabis. Um, Switzerland, just uh, even though a small country, uh, they got rid of the uh, need for doctors to go to the federal level to uh, prescribe medicine. So now it's the doctor's choice how they want to treat their patients and prescribe cannabis. Uh, which is exactly what Germany did back in uh, 2017, uh, which opened up all their patient portholes. And then you have like Thailand just came online. Um, this is going to be one of the lowest cost producers in the world. Um, you know, uh, this is a market that's developing. Um, you know, India is something to watch. I think we're going to hear big things out of there. Um, circling down to Africa, South Africa is becoming a main exporter. Uh, Lesotho. Um, 70 licensed growers down there. This is pretty fantastic. Um, and South America, I mean, everywhere, everywhere in South America, I believe is medical. Yeah, I believe every country in South America, maybe one is 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 medically accepting. And you have countries like Uruguay who want to be the largest, you know, the distribution hub for South America. Colombia, which has success of public companies like Cleverly um, and places like Brazil, where although they haven't figured out the manufacturing, they're big enough to import and distribute what they want to that large population. Um, and, you know, of course, New Zealand and uh, New Zealand's going to come along uh, now that Australia has, has a much better foothold. Uh, they've been doing great over there. And I'm hoping on Japan. Ah, so if Japan, really? Japan is somewhere I think has to happen. I haven't even so, heard that one on the radar yet. <laughs> yeah, I just put it on my radar last week. So, I, you know, we, we've been talking with a, a few people about the possibilities of APIs, and now we're exploring it uh, full bore. So I'm not saying that they're doing anything like legalizing cannabis. I'm talking more on the pharmaceutical side. Uh, it looks like there might be something there, and I just need more information on it. But yeah, right up, pop right up on the radar screen. Wow, interesting. Ooh, I gotta, I gotta watch for that one. Um, and is there any country that you think um, is the most? Um, is perfect for cultivation, like people say, Colombia. You know, just given their environment and that they will produce the best grade cannabinoid um, biomass. Um, will, will you be sourcing yours from Portugal mostly, or do you, will you be looking to other places to get the best that you can, since you are producing pharmaceutical grade? Well, we're going to for sure source them from all over, and you always got to go to where. Who are the countries that were producing the best cannabis before it was legal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you will have your answer. Yeah. So, you know, clearly Mexico has an advantage. Colombia has an advantage. Um, you know, some of the African countries, Thailand, all of these have not just an advantage uh, for their for their environments, uh, but they also have an advantage for their cost of labor and, and cost of growth. Um, but then if you're talking about genetics, there's nowhere on the world other than California. Uh, so there's nobody, nobody's gonna tell me California genetics 
aren't superior to the world to any genetic anywhere. Even so, Colombia. Um, I, mean, I keep hearing. Oh, okay. Wow, that's amazing. Well, well, there there may be good strains coming out of Colombia, but the, the Californians have already taken those strains and made them into hybrids and spliced uh, and diced and made it into Gorilla, you know, Ferrari, you know, turbo, you know, diesel. Go upstream. <laughs> That's the way it goes. I mean, thousands of genetics are being created there. People like Rosenthal and them, that's all they do is make genetics, you know, and, uh, and California's definitely led that charge. Yeah, okay. So I think this is, could be the last question is, um, uh, do you see Europe moving ahead of us on this or how do, how do you see us working together with Europe or do you feel the regulations over there will be much easier, will move quicker for you guys to operate? How do you see I mean, playing together? The, I mean, the data is very clear that uh, Europe is gaining ground um, on the testings. I believe there's 1,300 um, CBD tests in the world, um, 250, 300 THC. A clinical trial tests being conducted uh, around the world. Uh, the U.S. has probably the heaviest weighting, somewhere around um, somewhere around sixty percent, and and Europe is slowly gaining with thirty five plus percent. Um, but that's been that number has been going like this, and it's the U.S. just will always have more money for research and development, um, you know, for biotechs. But the actual surge over the last few years. Uh, where Europe's been taking over is is more of a function that everything here is pharmaceutical. So we can't grow in a the the way it's being grown in the United States. And that's not that's not sufficient. If you don't have a properly registered facility for pharmaceutical producing APIs and also producing those APIs, so a real manufacturing pharmaceutical facility, you cannot test those APIs on that scale. Now, of course, you could do it on a lab scale, and that's what's being done. And, you know, of course, you, most of those tests are being done in places uh, that you would assume are being done, California, New York City, Boston, um, you know, big research hubs uh, for pharmaceutical companies. Um, but Europe's gaining, and it's because they have certified facilities and certified product at their access. If the U.S. wants to do a study, they have to call Canada and have product delivered in order to study. Well, there are actually now, I met a great company that's doing that. One of the, has one of the DEA licenses. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's what I, I was thinking is the DEA opened up more licenses to other universities and people that that's what it was this past year or so. Yeah. Okay. Actually, this, this is a really good last question. Um, what is your ideal model for a medical cannabis market? Uh, is there a country getting it right? And uh, what do you what do you think is needed for uh, medical? Well, I mean, you know, clearly, if if there's no federal legality and they still have it as Schedule One, which does not acknowledge the medicinal effects, which actually is completely silly because it's already been proven multiple times, and Epidiolex is actually in the market in the United States. So, um, you know, there are medical benefits, or somebody got it wrong with these registrations, or everybody else has it wrong, and somehow some really smart politician who can't seem to find the medical uh, usage. Um, okay, that's enough said there. So <laughs> clearly, uh, you know, clearly they're missing the boat on that one. And, and no doctor can touch something 
they can't prescribe something from, from a legal liability standpoint if it's not a registered medicine. Um, but, you know, of course, like cl pain clinics, um, they, you know, a lot of pain clinics are substituting uh, cannabis for um, uh, cannabis for um, uh, uh, op opioids, you know, increasing the cannabis or opiates, something that we're studying here. Um, you know, so uh, on an informal basis, because it's already, let's say, in your market under a dispensary rules. Well, sure, these doctor clinics, which have authorizations uh, to do like a uh, like a pharmacist uh, compound, make their own safe elements and provide that in a clinical setting to their patients are doing this, of course, but there's no federal uh, recognition. So, you know, until that's conquered, you know, everything else is kind of a moot point, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when you juxtapose to Europe, uh, they're doing similar things where each country is coming out with their own rules, whereas a country like Portugal says, no, we're going to follow the medical rules. We're going to we're going to treat this just like any other narcotic pharmaceutical and 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 you can do uh, you can uh, get your products authorized by these paths and doctors can prescribe them and they treat it just as such you know so um, you need that kind of recognition right 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 yep and we're not going to get there until we get federal legalization <laughs> and we need to get more doctors on board or de or just descheduling and just an acknowledgement that it is a medicine like, I can't believe that letter that came back to the uh, senators, which said, we, we do not deem cannabis as a, as a, uh, any med medicinal benefits to their questions that were asked, you know, ages ago of them. And then a, a month ago, a few weeks ago, they come back with that letter and they were like beyond themselves with grief. I would have gone crazy. Somebody needs to get fired for that. Yeah. If I was a senator, somebody would be fired. I mean, yeah, I know. Uh, well, mm, okay. Craziness. Um, we can go down that rabbit hole a long time. I know. We need something to change. And I'm sorry, really, just one more last question. How are, how are physicians over there uh, receptive to uh, cannabinoid medicine? Well, like anything, you know, you're overcoming astigmatism. Uh, you're overcoming a patient's stigmatism. You have to overcome uh, not just the patients, uh, but also the doctors have to be clear as to you know their direction on it also. So right. you know we got a lot of education to go. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I I really great to meet you and so nice to talk to you. I love talking about this and you know kind of keeping up on where it's going and things like that. So um, I'm I, I will have my eye on Samai and see follow what you're doing. So thank you so much, Michael, for joining me today. Great. Thanks for having me on. It was good to meet you. And look, if you're in Lisbon, uh, please come visit our facility. We'll give you a tour and uh, and we'll show you a good time over here. Um, you know, we, we love uh, showing people what we're doing um, and we're very open about it. Uh, we, we like to show people this is about, you know, quality and stability and making good products uh, that are pharmaceutical grade. So come and see it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.